In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your peace. Thank you for waking us up and giving us another day to serve you and to reflect you to each person we come into contact with. Please open our hearts to be receptive and ready to receive all that you have for us. Amen. All right. Father said, my name is Matt Simmons. I'm the director of the Office of Evangelization and Spiritual Formation for the Diocese of Lincoln. I'm also the director of Unbound here and have been for, I don't know, a few years now. And uh, thank you all for coming. The retreat is a unique experience in Lincoln for Unbound. Um, you know, we usually give this in a parish setting. Um, from Friday till Saturday, and it's like a fire hydrant blasting on you of information, and then you get prayed with, and so on and so forth. Sometimes what gets missed in that is the opportunity to pause and allow the Father to reveal to us exactly what he wants to do. And he wants to do something here with every single one of us, myself included, as I stand up here and talk to you as I pray with some people today. Um, he's touching every one of our hearts all the time. He's inviting every single one of us all the time. And what he's inviting us back to is a simple truth that Isaiah says. <clears throat> Isaiah says in Isaiah 43, <clears throat> 1-7, to But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, God created and formed us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. This is the truth that he wants us to step back into. Many of us, when we're in this particular retreat or we're seeking after prayer or we're in unbound it's because this isn't always so clear it may be clear here and it may be not clear here it may be unclear here and here <laughs> right we may just know we've got an issue or something is off we may not have the peace that the gospel seems to proclaim as the normative way for a christian to live right The gospel is really, really simple. He came to change us, to make us sons and daughters in him, to make us different from everything else out there. What it means to be holy is to be separate from, right? The uh, chalice that's used here for mass shortly, the tabernacle, Many of the things we see in here will never be used for anything other than what they are used for now. Why? Because they're set apart and made holy to glorify God for the purposes of God. That's what we are too. Every person who's baptized is made holy and they're set apart. They've been redeemed, as he says there. They've been called by name. Every one of us has been called by name. For some of us who've been baptized later in life, like myself, I'm not a cradle Catholic, I'm a convert, it's a little easier for me to see. Right? I remember my baptism. See, for me, there's been a lie there for a long time that there's something wrong with me. For the longest time. Something wrong with me. Which is not true. Am I imperfect? Of course, just like every other person. But there's not something fundamentally wrong with me. I don't need to be fixed. I need love, and I need communion, and I need relationship with the Father. But there's nothing wrong with me, and I don't need to be fixed. None of us do. We need to be loved. Our world says we need to be fixed. You're broken. You're damaged goods. Good luck. 
Now you can identify as a broken person. This is an unfortunate consequence that sometimes happens with therapy, right? Or a 12-step program. And I know this from personal experience because I was in one for about 15 years. My identity became my problem. My problem is not my identity. Does that mean I don't need to pay attention to substances? Of course I do. <laughs> That's not who I am. Who I am is a son of the Father. And those are the things that separate me from that sonship, that separate me from the love of God when I engage in them. But he came to restore us, to restore us to sonship. The first thing Jesus says is repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. What is the gospel? What is the good news? The good news is that every one of us was born separated from God. Well, that's the bad news. But every one of us was born separated from God. Right? Until we're baptized and we receive the Spirit again into us, we are born separated. We are separated. When the Spirit enters into us, we are washed clean and we are made sons and daughters in the Son. And then what Paul tells us consistently throughout his letters, especially in Ephesians 6, which most of us know deals with this area that we're all here for, is stand. Stand in the day. Stay put. Don't move is the word he uses. Stand. Stay in this place of being redeemed, of being loved. Do not move from it or run from it. This is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They're born in communion with the Father, the indwelling Trinity in them. They're emblazoned with the grace of God. They're imbued with the grace of God. They've been entrusted this entire world to steward and to take care of, to make fruitful. They were given this world. God said, I created this, you're the crown, and you take it and you manage it. Think of an hourglass, that little point in the middle, that was Adam and Eve. Heaven was up here, earth was here, and all this grace flowed through them to keep this whole thing intact, to keep this whole thing together. All they had to do was stay put, just stay in communion with God, keep being open and relating their heart to God, to continue receiving his love and manifest it to the world. What did Satan do? He caused them to doubt who God was. If God is so good. Right? Then why did he say you couldn't have that? Implying that he's holding out. If you want to be like God, you probably want to do that. Because then you'll know good and evil. The lie in there is they were already like God. They were already in his image and likeness. God was good, they're good, and they reflected him. This is the great lie for every single one of us. Every one of us who has been baptized and brought back in to communion with him is already like God. We have access to everything in heaven, Paul tells us in Ephesians. Everything, every grace from the heavenly places is right there in us, around us. The question is, is can we open up to it? When we open up to it, what happens is we change. Many of us try our darndest to get over certain sins, to move past things, to start treating people decent, right? Somebody says something and we react and we're like, seriously, we just keep trying harder and harder and harder and harder. We never get anywhere except more tired, more frustrated, more disgusted with ourselves because it never changes. 
See, the thing we have backwards is we're never going to do that. It's impossible. If I could make myself better, I would not be here. I would not be a Christian. I would not be Catholic of all things. I didn't like Catholics when I became Catholic. What's so funny, I work at a university now, doing some stuff at a university in North Dakota, Catholic University. And I thought Catholics were so obnoxiously simple and just sheep and dingy. I'm like, oh my gosh, the intellectual tradition of the church is just amazing. It's astounding, right? I would not be here if I could get this stuff figured out myself. But we can't. And this is the biggest frustrating thing. Because our entire culture, particularly our American culture, but our entire world is geared towards pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get her done. Everybody can relate to get her done. Love it or hate it, you can relate to it. I hate it personally, but we can relate to it. And we're all geared towards that. Some of us in this context, we think if we just click those beads enough, it's going to change. What I'm not saying is that the rosary is bad. If I just pray enough novenas, it's going to change. I'm going to get some roses thrown at me and it's going to be different. That novena is amazing. It's not bad. If I just go sit in adoration long enough, I'm going to change. Adoration's amazing. What I'm getting as it's our orientation with all of this stuff. It's the way in which we come to him that's important. Pope Benedict said that prayer is pure receptivity to God's grace. It's pure openness. He said prayer is a way of being with God before it's a set of things we do. The rosary is amazing if I'm open to it. If it's a context that I come open to the Lord and Mary so that they can pour grace into my heart. So that I can truly enter into the mysteries, the Annunciation. And be with Mary as she's doing what she's doing with the angel. Can I identify my own suffering with the scourging that's happened? Can I open my suffering in the midst of that mystery and receive all the grace he has? See, the key to healing, deliverance, communion, and transformation is I'm a mess. Can I open the mess to him? That's it. It's so unbelievably simple. We miss it. We think there's more we have to do than really open ourselves and be vulnerable with him. That's the key. And this is the first thing and the consistent thing that almost every single one of us needs to repent of is withholding our heart from the Lord. You see, most of us have been beaten up by life, by people, by situations, and by stuff. And the more that happens, the more we close off, the more we huddle down, the more we figure out how we can do more of it ourselves because we can't trust other people. And if they're that way, then no way. Many of us associate our own parents, our own father with God the Father. Here's another thing to repent of because that's called idolatry. God the Father has nothing to do with my father. They are two separate people. Two totally different people. And this is a truth that I had to receive at some point. My dad and God are different. They're different. Now, my father was supposed to, my mother and father are supposed to be an archetype for God. They're supposed to lead me to the father, both of them. They're supposed to be in communion with him in such a way that they manifest his love, his grace, and his glory and image the father 
so that I can receive this in normal human form, all that grace through my normal, natural upbringing that will lead me to the depths of intimacy with him when it's time to get away from this because I'm too old to rely on them anymore. And hopefully they're teaching me about God the Father, not just in how they are, but directly, explicitly helping me come into that communion. That's the ideal. I don't know anybody who had that ideal perfectly. I know some people that was pretty close, but not perfect. The problem is, is a lot of us today come from situations where that did not happen to a greater or lesser degree. And these people were empty cups and we're trying to drink from empty cups that cannot give us what we need. And Jesus says, if you take one drink of this living water, you will be not thirsty ever again. And so another repentance that a lot of us have to do is this idolatry. This blaming God for this over here when they're not the same. This problem of pain is not that big of a problem to me, in my mind. Like, people have not communicated the grace of God to me in their life like they were supposed to. And they're free to do what they want. They're free to respond to God or not respond to God. And the people in my life did not. Why? Because they were broken, they were wounded, they had their own issues. My mom left when I was... Divorced my, separated from my dad when I was three, divorced him at five, and she took off to Omaha. Rarely saw her after that. When I did see her, it's because she was committing my sister and herself to a mental hospital, Richard Young up there, and then kidnapping me and sticking me with some other family who I didn't know. Took my dad attorneys and lawyers to get my sister out because she was not mentally ill. Had her thoroughly examined when she got out. Took him all kinds of time to find me wherever I was at because he didn't know where I was. That was probably one of the nicest things he ever did for me. Otherwise, he really wasn't around. He was not around. My sister was an angry preteen girl who was raising her kid brother. Was angry and was abusive. Her regular mode of communication when I was annoying was an open-handed whack across the face, right? The way I grew up as I felt like I was a problem. There was something wrong with me. The few times in my life I'd actually get down to that wound, usually with my wife, it'd be, what is so wrong with me that nobody wanted me? That was the question that always came. Right? Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has stuff there. What God wants us to repent of is everything that is not of him. See, Satan has a plan for our life and God has a plan for our life. This world out here is Satan's. He's the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Adam and Eve gave it over to him. They freaked out. Here you go. Just don't kill me. Don't do whatever you're going to do. They gave it to him. Jesus entered back into the world to take it back. I believe it's in the Gospel of Matthew when the shepherds look up and they see all the legions of angels at the birth. That's because Jesus, accompanied by the entire heavenly host, are breaking back into this world to take it back. That's what he came to do. See, this world shapes us a certain way. It shapes us to be self-centered, self-seeking, self-pitying. And all the feelings that go along with that, sadness, depression, hopelessness, helplessness, all the ideas that I can never change, God won't actually love me. He won't actually do this for me. 
fear and security, using people, striving to get wherever we think we need to be to be okay and happy, being reliant on people in our life to be okay. That's all a part of this world and the demonic influence. It's all selfish. And it keeps us in a place of pain and locked down. And most of us don't ever get out of it. God, on the other hand, says, no, you're a son, you're a daughter. What do you see when you look at the cross? For the longest time, what I saw was, seriously, dude, you had to do that for me. You made a poor choice, man. It's pretty much what I saw all my life. What it actually means is that's our value. He came to reveal our value to us. Anybody's ever bought or sold a house? I just Our house just sold yesterday at 8 a.m., closed on it. Thank God. We could have come up with any number we wanted to throw on that house for its value, right? The money they actually paid for it is its value. That's what the tax assessment will be and everything else, right? The value of something is what you'll pay for it. That's your value and my value right there. Jesus gave himself for you and for me so that we could be sons again and daughters again, so that we could be different. See, in heaven, there's no sadness, there's no unrest, there's no fear, there's no lack of communion, there's only intimacy. There's only truth. There's only clarity. There's only peace. There's only joy. And our heart will continue to expand for all time as we enter into the depths of God's love. And many of us are just trying to hang on so we can hopefully maybe slide into purgatory and maybe someday get there. What Jesus said is the kingdom of God is upon you. It's now. All of that begins now. At our baptism, it enters into our heart. The Trinity enters into us. That which will be completely in the presence of an eternity in heaven. It enters into our heart right then. And so all that stuff that the world does, we can choose to live by that. Paul calls it the flesh. We can choose to stay in old habits of thinking, believing, feeling, desiring, and acting. A victim. I thought I was a victim for the longest time. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. I had people abuse me in my life. Right? How did I end up that way? I was a victim. This is a big problem in our culture. Everybody's a victim today. That is the worst thing, is to think we're a victim. Many of us have been victimized. But it should not become our identity. That's another thing you might want to look at as a repentance point. Because of the pain that I've encountered in my life, the suffering I've encountered in my life, have I taken that on as my identity? Has that become the place from which I live? It's something that we need to repent of. So what Paul says is we can either live by all that old stuff or we can live by the Spirit. Every one of us has the Spirit poured into us fully. The indwelling Trinity in us. And think about that for a moment. The God of heaven and earth, the one who created everything out of nothing in the beginning of time, dwells in your heart. The same power that, that created everything out of nothing dwells in your heart, right here inside each one of us. 
One of the things Father Reynero Cantola Mesa has talked about is many of us are sacramentalized but not evangelized. What he means by that is that most of us have received these graces, but we have not unlocked them or we don't have access to that. It's not changing us, affecting us, bringing this peace and joy into our life, freedom into our life. And once again, the reason for that? Nope. The problem with this is that many of us have been in this place for so long, we don't even know how to do this anymore. We don't even know how. I meet with people all the time that are in that spot. You're talking to them, and you can see the fire hydrant just blasting on them, and it's just going... Like they got this wall of shield around them, and it's just going all over the place. So he offers us this joy, this peace, this freedom. And Paul says we can choose to live by the Spirit. We can choose to step into this and put all of this off. Put off those ways of thinking, believing, feeling. We can put those off. It's the old man. It's the man of this world, the son of disobedience that every one of us has been. We can put him off and put on Jesus which is faithfulness, hope, trust, mercy, and grace. So what this key of repentance is about is all those ways of thinking, believing, behaving, desiring, feeling, we want to repent of. And what I would ask Jesus as you go out throughout your morning here, because we'll have some time before Mass to pray, is, Jesus, what are these habits that you want me to put off? What I'm not talking about is going into an unbound session and the key of repentance is not confession. It's not your laundry list of stuff that you go with every week, two weeks, month, whatever it is. That's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is how have you responded to the stuff in your life in a way that keeps you locked in? It's all these old things. What an unbound session is, is it's a context in which you can be open. It's a context in which you can open your heart with people who know exactly what it's like to do that because we've all done it multiple times, some of us, right? And how do we go from this to this? It's actually very simple. State clearly and pointedly, specifically, what has happened in your life. My dad hurt me is not enough. It's not pointed enough. My dad hit me when I was five years old because I spilled a glass of water. Now we're there. My sister beat the hell out of me and embarrassed me in front of everybody because I chased her as she left once, leaving the circle that my dad lived in. Now we're there. The reason we don't get specific is because it hurts to. And what every one of us is trying to do is avoid the pain and manage the pain ourselves. Right? What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action, a change in the way of, that we are, a change in the way that we are in the world and with God and with each other. So the change of mind, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The truth has to come in here and we allow that truth to shape us and change us. The truth is 
that we should not fear, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. This is the guiding truth for this entire retreat. Don't be afraid. Jesus tells us that, John Paul II, never tired of saying it. I imagine there's a spark of fear in almost everybody in this room right now. I've been there, I know. I've been doing this a long time. Whenever I go get prayed with, I still feel a little awkward. Right? It's one of the desolating experiences that the evil one uses to try to keep us in check. Because heaven forbid we bid we get uppity and think we're something that we're not. Is how he views it. But we are. So let that be your guiding truth today. He who formed you, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. All the grace that you need to become a saint is ready, present, and accessible now. It's here. So what keeps you locked into that place? Is it fear? Is it a lie? Is it God's not going to help me anyway? He'll help everybody else, but not me. I just had somebody tell me that yesterday. A friend of mine, as we were praying with him. Well, God will help everybody else, but not me. Those lies need to be repented of too. Some of those key lies. Father, please forgive me for believing this lie. Please forgive me for withholding my heart. Have you responded to the hurts in life? See, I was rejected. I was abandoned. Nobody wanted me. And so I, or I, that became the, the fundamental orientation of my life. And you know what that meant? That meant I needed to take care of it myself because nobody else would. I isolated, which kept me feeling abandoned. So I had self-sufficiency, control. See, one of the things for the abandoned person or the rejected person, somebody does that, and then all of a sudden they're afraid, they think nobody wants them, they're not lovable. I mean, there's a whole host of things that go into that. And then when somebody tries to get close, they're like, ah, no thanks. And then they blame them for rejecting and abandoning them. All Satan has to do is get that lie in there in the beginning and we'll do the rest of the work for him. So what is my MO, my pattern in life, having been rejected and abandoned, is I tend to isolate and withdraw from people. Not really open up to people. And then whine and complain that I'm alone and depressed and abandoned. Does that make sense? These are the things we need to repent of. How am I living from this pain and keeping it in place? The very thing I'm afraid of is the very thing that will heal me, change me, and make me new. For me, that went really far out there. Two and a half years ago in my marriage, see, having been that way, I didn't think I was worth anything. And I lived a fundamentally dishonest life. Did that mean I outwardly lied to my wife? No, I didn't. But what it meant was I never said what was actually going on. I never opened my heart. Part of it being a man, I had no clue how to. Right? But some of it I did. I knew it was in there. I was mad. My wife's very strong, very strong-willed person, very Irish. Right? And she needs somebody who can be strong. To be with her. She requires me to be. Otherwise, I'll get mowed down and she'll have a marriage she don't want. Right? So I spent a lot of time not saying anything. Not saying anything. Oh, it's okay. I just want to keep the peace. Ah, oh, whatever. Just do it. Ah, no, no, no. You know where I ended up? With a big festering ball of rage and hatred for my wife. I could not stand the woman. 
It drove me nuts to even look at her. I was like, you don't like me. You don't love me. You're all about you, is what I thought. Which, at some level, yes. She had her own issues. But the only thing I could look at is me. And what did I do? I withheld my heart from this woman for years. I wasn't honest with her about where I was at with situation X, Y, and Z. I didn't give my heart. And I ended up with my heart rotten. And I straight up told her, I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't even like you. I'm here because I will get fired from my job. And those kids, I can't even fathom being away from my kids for 30 seconds. I don't like being away from coming and do this stuff. I love you guys and you're great. But I like my kids. I like spending time with them. I told her, that's why I'm here. I'm sorry, but that's why I'm here. She was a mess. She was wrecked. Now, at one level, somebody would say, oh my God, you just said the most cruel, heinous thing on earth. The truth was, though, it was the first time that I spoke the truth to my wife. The first time. We didn't have to get there. All because I was rejected and abandoned when I was a kid, and so I couldn't be honest. I couldn't think I was valuable enough to have a good relationship, an honest, open one. I couldn't speak to her and be real with her. So she left. She's like, I need to leave for a little bit. Sure. Calls her mom. Her mom is like a closet. I call her a closet Catholic. She's like almost 70 years old. She hates all the old white men that run the church. She was graduated in 69. But if she can't sleep, she'll be clicking them beads trying to go to sleep. Right? Or popping a rosary CD or something like that. Loves Mary. And uh, calls her mom. And her mom's like, well, maybe your cross is to be married to a man who does not love you like you love him. And I remember when she came home and told me that, I was like, dang, Linda. I didn't know you had that in you. Right? <laughs> so she tells me this, and then she's like, I choose you anyway. That was ground zero for our marriage to begin to be restored and to actually have intimacy and love. And the grace of the sacrament was released there in my marriage in that moment. When Jesus, through my wife, chose me even though I was dishonest, I was mean, I was cruel, and I did all this stuff out here but didn't do any of it for my wife. And it changed everything. Now the last two and a half years have been pretty feisty. Because we actually communicate now. It's been a whole change in the dynamics. She had been so used to getting her own way, it doesn't happen anymore. And it shouldn't. And it can't. But I took the risk and I opened up. And it changed everything. And that's been the habit and the pattern in my entire life. That's the way God has been teaching me. Because of my woundedness. That's my primary response. Is that I don't open up. The only reason I have the job I have. <clears throat> and this was super awkward. I didn't realize what I did until a few days after I did it. Was that I was offered a job up in Bismarck. I didn't really want to leave, but on the other hand, there was a lot of stuff happening up there. And I talked to Bishop Conley a couple times, and he's like, well, Matt, there's no money. There's blah, 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 blah. Just, I don't know. But if you want to keep talking about it, let me know. We can get lunch. I was like, all right, cool. So I kept praying about it, praying about it, and I was like deadlocked in the middle. Could not make a decision on what to do. And so finally, my wife was like, maybe you should go talk to him. He offered, he opened the door. I was like, all right. Shot a message, went and met with him. And basically, I went into his office and was like, I need more money. I need more authority. Like, give me a job, man. Come on. And he said, write a proposal. I left, and I was like, oh my gosh. 
right? A few days later, once I realized what a curia was and a chancery and the hierarchy of the church, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. I just went to the CEO and was like, give me more authority and more money now. Right? Not in that brash of a way. <clears throat> what did I do? I opened my heart. And now all of a sudden, everything's opened up in my life and my career. My family, my career, friendships. See, one of the things I struggle with is I'm a good listener. And a lot of that's been shaped because of my own brokenness. I didn't want to give anything, so I just listened to you and try to help you. And so for the longest time, I felt alone and isolated in that even. Until I started opening my heart to other men and now have real deep friendships. The reason I tell you all this is that the repentance key is all about how have you been living from your pain? How have you been living from it? How have you responded to it? Are you a fighter? Do you fight the world and fight life? Do you reject the world and run away and hide? How do you respond to life? Either way, the answer is to ask Jesus to enter into that and free you from it. To open your heart to him and say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want what all the saints have. I want what the church teaches that you give, even though I've never experienced it, or maybe only in glimpses at times, or maybe we're even one of those people that's experienced it very thoroughly, but we just can't keep going back and eating our own puke over here. We still got to go back to that thing every so often. Open your heart to him. And say, please come in. Please show me what this is. Give me your grace that's in me right now to be different. That's what I would pray with here for the next half an hour, 45 minutes. What is it in your life that you need to repent of that keeps you locked in this place? For me, it's continually thinking I can do it myself. I have to pay attention to the lie that there's something wrong with me, that nobody's going to help me anyway. That I can't really be open. That fear we all have. If anybody really knows, uh, what are they going to think of me? Are they still going to like me? Are they still going to love me? What's your thing? Humility is always the foundation of intimacy. Always. The catechism says humility is the foundation of prayer. Prayer is our intimacy. It is our relationship with God. Prayer is like me and my wife hanging out and talking and spending time together. If we don't ever do that, we have no intimacy. If I'm not actually listening to her and telling her my heart and vice versa, we will not have intimacy. It's no different here. The thing is, is he's always listening and he's always giving. The question is, is are we listening and giving? What's humility? It's simply the truth. It's simply the truth. The truth of what's in our heart, the truth of where we're at, the truth of what we're experiencing, the truth of what's in there. That day when I told my wife that, the reason it was a good thing to do is because it was the truth. I wasn't trying to hurt her. That's just where I was at, and I couldn't contain it anymore. I couldn't keep stuffing it down. Right. So what's the truth of what's happening in your heart? What I would do is I'd pause here for a little bit, the rest of this time, until Mass, 
and or maybe next hour, whatever, half hour, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And ask Jesus to show you what's the truth of what's happening in my heart. What is separating me from me, from you and from others, Jesus? What is it that's separating me from joy and peace? What's keeping me locked into guilt, shame, condemnation? These sins that I may have that I can't seem to get away from. Please show me what that is. If you have fear, insecurity. So one of the things that can happen when the truth starts to enter in is we start to feel it. We start to feel it. We can feel it shaking something in us. We can start to get uncomfortable. We can start to get afraid. If you're experiencing that, that's because the truth is entering in, trying to dislodge what's not meant to be there. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It means you're moving in the right direction. Our conversion is painful. It's not easy. It requires changing, which is not easy. So allow him in there, in the discomfort, and allow him to change that, to begin separating that out. Confessions will be available later. That might be a good place to go. One of the best places to go. I'll tell you the two biggest deliverances I had were in the sacrament of confession. Why? Because the stronghold was in the fact that I needed to repent. Sometimes it's in forgiveness. Sometimes it's in renunciation. For me, the two biggest ones were that. The first one, when I got out of high school, I moved in with a guy who was a Satan worshiper. And I worshiped Satan. And we did seances, and I channeled stuff, and we did all kinds of stuff that was directly there. I prayed that Satan would kill my father because I hated my father. And he got cancer a few months later and died a year and a half after that. Now, what I'm not saying is that I did that. But that's where I was at. I'd been involved with Unbound for two years doing this before... Unbeknownst to me, that was revealed. <laughs> this is how Satan works. He wants to keep things locked down and hidden in there. And I had this man in my life who was really bothering me, and I could not get over being frustrated with him and resentful and just uncomfortable around him. And I kept going to my holy hour during Lent, fasting and praying, which is usually my penance in Lent the last handful of years anyway. I'd go to holy hour before 6.30 mass every morning. And I was like, man, I don't know what's going on with this dude. And I identified about five people in my life going backwards that this person was like. Back to that man who I lived with right out of my dad's house. And it was like, oh my gosh, I have never actually repented of that. Worshiping Satan, wishing my dad dead. I went to confession after Mass, right, and found a great level of freedom, right? The next year, I still had this anger, still there, still towards my father. Same thing, holy hour. Sitting there praying, asking Jesus, what is this about? What I finally realized is I hated God. I didn't hate my dad. I hated God. And I wanted God dead. I wanted to do that. Went to confession again. And this time, the priest, I made my confession, and he took the crucifix off the wall, which was like yay big, 
came right up in my face and went, Jesus loves you, and held it in my face, this close to my face for about 15 minutes and repeated constantly, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And I was a mess. I have not been angry at God since. I have not blamed him for anything since. Right? So this repentance is really important. Ask Jesus, what's separating me from you? It could be anger, fear. What are your habits? How do you deal with stuff? Show me, Jesus, please. Last thing I'll say, and I'll be quiet, is that many of us get into introspection. We think we're going to figure this out. We think we're going to somehow figure it out. We're not going to figure it out. He will reveal it. We wouldn't even know our sin if he didn't reveal it to us. We're delusional when it comes to this. Do you know the difference between denial and delusion, by the way? Denial is I take Father's breviary, I put it in my car, he asks me if I have it, I know it's in my car, and I'm like, no, Father, it's not there. Delusion is I take it, put it in my car, he asks me about it, I say, no, it's not there, and I actually believe it. This is where we're at. We're delusional about our own sin, meaning we don't see it. We don't understand it. Paul says that our senseless minds are darkened when we step into that. In Romans, he says that. And so what we need is his light to shine on us and show us what that is. So ask him to show you. Ask for the grace of humility. Ask for the grace of truth. When you receive communion today, if you're experiencing that insecurity, that fear, that discomfort that I was talking about, wherever you feel that in your body, when like allow that to be there during Mass. Do everything you're supposed to do, but allow that to be there in Mass. Hold it open to Him. And when you go up to receive, ask Him to go there. Pay attention where in your body you feel the distress that you may be experiencing. And when you go to communion, ask him to go there and focus on that part of your body and ask him to heal it. Ask him to touch you there. Right? When we start to do that, things will change. So unbound is a context in which you can learn how to be open. And then my hope, my single hope for people when they learn how to do that is that they take that into their sacramental life and they take that into their prayer life. Because that's when everything becomes relational. That's when that box does not become a place that I walk into, say a bunch of stuff, and walk out just like I walked into the bathroom. Like nothing happened. No different. It becomes something that's deep and intimate. Communion becomes something deep and intimate at this point when we really show him our heart and what's going on and invite him into it.